As we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps first to the Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter, beginning in the 29th verse. Let us receive together the word of God. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, he said. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. What a blessing to hear the voice of Wayne Jennings and Francis Brooks and our Jubilate Ensemble, led by Stanley Thurston. What a blessing. Friends, for those of you who are just joining us, we want to make sure that you find our worship guide, which will let you know how you can participate in our service today. And the links for that should be showing up in the feeds on Facebook and YouTube. You can also go to our website. We also encourage you to connect with ASL um, on foundryumc.org forward slash ASL. And now it's time to receive the word from the Reverend Dr. Kevin Smalls. So glad that you are with us. Amen. Thank you so much. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. It is a joy to be with you, um, Foundry United Methodist Church. To my dear sister colleague, she beat me to it because as I was thinking about uh, this time together in preparation, it dawned on me um, that 20 years ago, indeed, we did meet. Um, and I think the specific meeting was at a DCOM meeting on what was then the Washington West District. Um, and we've been great friends ever since. And it's just a joy uh, to be uh, with her uh, and with you, this awesome staff. Um, Dr. Kelly, it's, it's my privilege, it's my honor uh, to share with you in this way. Won't you pray with me? Now unto you, O God, rescue me from me and equip me for thy task. Consecrate me for thy service, Lord, 
so much so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are my strength and even my redeemer. Amen. So I am so blessed uh, to be able to share this time with you sermonically. And I was thinking how uh, when I went to Claflin uh, University, um, growing up in DC, you are inundated with history. Um, you are surrounded by it, you sleep it, you eat it, you walk around and read it. It's everywhere. And as a little boy, I developed a deep love uh, for history. When I went to college, um, I knew I was going to either major in sociology or religion and philosophy or history. Um, and the sociology registration line was wrapped around the building two or three times, so I didn't do that. Um, but history only had two majors, um, one other person and myself. The registration was real easy and real simple, and I signed up, and I was one of the two history majors at Claflin University um, in the early 90s. Um, and minored in religion and philosophy. But this love of history um, was birthed in me, especially since I grew up in Ebenezer United Methodist Church, not very far from Foundry on Capitol Hill. And in that church, when I was growing up, there was a picture that I've since secured for myself, not that exact picture, but a, a replica of the ordination of Francis Asbury in Lovely Lane Church. It is a fascinating, dramatic image as uh, these initial bishops, uh, Bishop Coke and Asbury are being ordained against John Wesley's wishes. And this room in Lovely Lane was packed, but there's one in there one particular person, and he was an African presence in that space at that ordination and consecration. And it, it really happened that way. Francis Asbury was ordained and, and consecrated the next day um, as a bishop. And uh, one, one black face is there, and we have come to know him as Harry Hoosier. And of course he was there because of the strong commitment of the Methodist uh, faith uh, to denounce slavery. John Wesley uh, was adamantly against slavery. Harry Hoosier ended up being an outstanding preacher uh, in those days, and many, many folks, white and black, will come near and far to hear his dynamic, awesome, and amazing gift in preaching the gospel. I learned that story and many others at Ebenezer United Methodist Church, where I grew up. And I didn't realize it then, but even Ebenezer was rich in history. Rich in, rich in heritage, and I remember the worship in those days when I was 9 and 10 and 11 years old. I, I remember Mr. Cunningham 
getting with a, a very long white beard and white hair, uh, matched with his very dark skin uh, and his elderly positioning uh, of his walk and his movements. But when it came to worship, he would get up and celebrate God and extend his hands wide open and walk as best he could. And I remember Miss Evans, who never failed to get up from the altar saying, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes. This is a church rich in heritage, rich in history, and rich in pride as it reflected over the days of how far it had come. In fact, Ebenezer now is over 178 years old and is one church that is a historical replica of the racial journey uh, in the Methodist experience. In fact, growing up, I would often hear them reminisce about days of the central jurisdiction. I didn't know what a jurisdiction was. I didn't know what was so central about it. But they would talk about how the worship was so impacting and powerful and how many times Ebenezer was actually the host of annual conferences and occasionally jurisdictional events. And they longed and remembered and appreciated those days. And I appreciated hearing them, even going to Sunday school. It was a marvelous experience early in the morning on Capitol Hill, a fresh morning where the city was quiet and the air was often crisp. There we would gather and run to Sunday school and learn many stories like the Good Samaritan. That would be one of the stories we would learn. And then the singing at Ebenezer was rich and profound. And I'm telling you, whenever the music was up and going, it was an experience to behold. I was also introduced to the rich hymnody at Ebenezer Church. And one of the hymns that was a hymn that would set that church on fire is Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. And when we got to that second verse, the congregation seemed to swell in joy and appreciation as they sang with power and conviction. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger. He to rescue me from danger. He to rescue me from danger. That hymn kind of went with the Sunday school lesson, the Good Samaritan. It was uh, a lesson we were given to number one, be careful about the roads you travel on. You don't, you don't wanna be on a road like the Jericho Road because those roads are dangerous and, and always stay in good parts of town and don't get into the wrong neighborhood because you can be in trouble. But in the event you are in trouble, worry not because there will be one, there will be someone that will come and rescue you, someone that will come and help you, and someone that will come and assist you. I learned those things at Ebenezer. And so it's fascinating to me that we come to this place in history, and because 
I spend most of my time as a United Methodist clergyman, I, I can't ignore or turn away from the racial challenges that we have suffered with since the beginning, since the fresh product of Methodism on American, American soil. The narrative that we're seeing in our country, the, the horrific acts of violence and crime do not escape our own accountability. And in some cases, sadly, our contribution to the racism that is running rampant in these 50 United States. And so the Good Samaritan, we learned to be careful on that Jericho Road, but to certainly be thankful for the one who comes to lift us up and to give us hope and encouragement. But actually, there were two that we didn't talk much about in that Sunday school lesson. We didn't talk much about the priest or the Levite. We didn't talk about those two very much who, who passed that robber by. It's got to be a bold omission of sight just to walk past someone who's on the road, on the road bleeding, on the road victimized by a horrific crime. And to add uh, salt to injury, this was a church. They weren't neighbors. They weren't ordinary people that passed by. They weren't fellow travelers so much as it was the church, the priest and the Levite, the synagogue, if you will, the representatives of the religious community, the representatives of Yahweh, the representatives of God. They, they walked and passed by. And I get it to some degree. I'm a busy guy. I'm a minister as well. I pastor two congregations. And at any given moment, I drive past people stranded on the road. There's a wedding I have to get to. Sometimes I have to get to a meeting. In a funeral, I can't leave the church waiting and hanging. I have to keep moving. I don't always get a chance to stop and aid someone who is injured. And maybe these priests, this priest and Levite were in the same scenario. They, they didn't get a chance to stop. They didn't get a chance to aid. They didn't get a a chance to help and to assist. And then Jesus explains, but there is one who comes that doesn't pass them by. You know, we have to be careful about not engaging the ministry of passing by. It's a, it's a horrific, traumatizing experience on the one we're passing. So I look throughout history and, and I, I think there are times that we're guilty of, of doing that. There, there are times that the church, even in the Methodist context, is guilty of passing by. Like when Richard Allen and a few of his fellow African worshipers wanted to go down and pray with everyone else in those early 1780s days. And they could not. They had to wait until the white congregation prayed first, and then they could come. And Richard Allen was passed by in that service. 
and moved on to start his own. Every time I pass by an AME church, I think that this is the group that was passed, that was passed by. Or in 1844, many of you may already know the story. The General Conference gathered, and it was in the rules of the General Conference. It, we, there was a discipline even back then that no bishop can own a slave. And Bishop James Osgood Andrew was married to a woman that was bequeathed a slave. And someone brought it up on the conference floor, and it was a big fuss about it, and it was a big to-do, and it led to the church being split. Methodist Episcopal Church and then the Methodist Episcopal Church South over slavery and not one person ever asked what did that slave that young girl feel about it all what was her opinion in fact we don't even know her name as they were not added in the minutes of the general conference her name was not there and so at that moment, she was passed by. Slaves were passed by on the ecclesiastical Jericho Road, if you will. Then, of course, after that, around 1870, the Methodist Episcopal Church South gathers and they gather all the black members and say, you know what, you can go and form your own church and you can elect your own bishops and have your own system of government and you can take your property and you can go and establish a church, a great opportunity for you. And they were invited out of the Methodist Episcopal Church. And today they're called the Christian Methodist Episcopal. And I don't pass by CME Church this day without thinking to myself, this was a group of people that were passed by, that were left out. 1939 comes, the churches gather back, but they won't gather back unless you separate the black constituency of that church. And we'll call it the central jurisdiction for them and the rest will be for the white people. At that time, there was a community of people that was being passed by. 1968, an opportunity comes to merge with the EUBs, the Evangelical United Brethren, but they said, uh-uh. Not until you figure out your racial dilemma. We will not join until then. And the central jurisdiction was abolished in 1967. And the last two conferences to actually get with the program in 1972 was South Carolina and Mississippi. And now we are engaged in an entirely continuous conversation, not just about color, but now we are talking about human sexuality. And it is almost identical, the history now and then to the, the rejection of community being gathered as, as one. We have to confront the ghost of Methodist Episcopal South that in my opinion is still very much alive among us. And until we do, we will be fooling around with this robber who was on the road and bleeding as we speak. Once we start trying to figure, like, figure out how to accommodate discrimination 
And once we try to negotiate discrimination, and once we try to negotiate exclusivism, I think we're well on our way to seeing the end of our great days. And so we therefore struggle with these dynamics. We struggle to realize that we are called to not just pass by with silence. And we're not called to be angry at the Samaritan who did the work that we were supposed to do, whatever that Samaritan is. You can't be mad at the new merging denomination and you can't be mad at the church that just started growing and just, just set up shop last week and is taking our young people. We, we can't be mad at the Samaritans that come and are willing to do the work that we have refused to do. You can't be mad at those who show up, those who actually lift the robber, those who actually place the robber on their own vehicle, those who take the robber to the, the, uh, the traveler to care, those who ensure that the traveler is safe. Because the truth is, the only silent group in this text is the robber. We don't know who they were. They're hidden but we see the effects. So somewhere they are around. And so my friends, the gospel this day calls us to be sensitive to those who are victimized by violence, racial prejudice, by sexism, by homophobia, by classism, and elitism, because the truth is, until we behead this horrific monster of racism, all of us are on that Jericho Road, laying out, bleeding, seeking someone to come. My hope today is that we will find the strength and the courage to be the ones that show up. What what if we lived in a way that we were the ones to show up? What if we lived life in a way or as if we would be the church that everybody not only counted on, but knew that we would speak up? What if we lived life as if we would intimidate anybody who would come to disturb with segregation and division and negativity and hatred and separation? What if love was the dominant power? What if love was the dominant action? What if we weren't afraid to name racism? What would happen if we were not afraid to recognize this, this one on this road bleeding? What would happen if we took seriously the residue that is on our own clothes from history of white supremacy and in many cases white male supremacy. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in the Methodist Episcopal Church South was racist. I don't think that's the issue. And I'm not saying that everyone who is right is racist because I know that is not the case. What I am saying is that when we subject ourselves to silence and walk on by and ignore, we fail to live up to who God calls us to be. And instead, we fail to be an obedient church 
who rebels against the love of God, that does not hear the cry of the needy. That's not the church God calls us to be. And you know what the most painful part of that entire traumatic experience probably was for that victim? It wasn't being beaten up because the Jericho Road is known at that time was known for its crime. And that's always a possibility. The trauma was being ignored. The trauma was being walked over. The trauma was perhaps just the other day sitting in the synagogue listening to that priest deliver and listening to that Levite teach. But here on the road of life, the trauma is there is no connection to faith and action. What if we lived as if we are those that don't mind stopping by, being inconvenienced, and uplifting those that have fallen? Actually, there's one other I forgot to mention. The attorney that started this whole argument, the attorney that started this whole conversation, the attorney asked, well, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus gives him this beautiful parable. And then Jesus asks him, which one of these were the good neighbor? And the attorney says, the one who showed mercy. The attorney couldn't say it, could he? He couldn't name the people that he had been taught to despise. He couldn't part his lips to say it, could he? He couldn't say the Samaritan showed him mercy. He actually said that one over there. He would be the one today that won't be able to say Black Lives Matter. He would be the one today that would not be able to name the names of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Harris. He would be the one that would not be able to look dead in the eye of the one on the ground having life snuffed out of him minute by minute, second by second. And if you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you had best get in the practice of naming the name. Say it. And you can't say it until you see it. And you can't see it until you go there. What would happen if we did? And what would happen if we live as those who are not afraid to name our flaws and not afraid to name our sins? but are bold enough to declare that the crooked place will be made straight and the rough place will be made plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh, all flesh shall see it together. In the meantime, may we just lay down next to that robber because of that, that victim because we, we may already be there. I have a hymn to suggest to you to sing while you're there. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither to thy help I come, 
And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger. He interposed by his own blood. The priest didn't stop. The Levi didn't stop. The Samaritan did. But who will stop next? What if it's you? What if it's me? What if it's us?